Welcome to the Faith at Work podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin. The messages of Faith at Work address spiritual, religious, and scriptural issues with practical value for your life at work or at home. I invite you to join me each week in exploring the questions which defy easy answers. What's the purpose of my life? Why is there so much suffering in the world? How can I become the best version of myself? We'll often be turning to scripture, other sources of religious wisdom, and the events of everyday life to help us in our spiritual quest. I try to speak to people of all religious traditions, those who claim no religious allegiance at all. Today I'm going to be sharing a personal memory that I hope may have some meaning for you. So let's get started. In a simpler time, in the small American town in which I grew up, boys were armed with lethal weapons at an early age. It must have been done responsibly because, at least to my recollection, serious injuries and deaths were relatively rare. When I was about eight years old, I received a Daisy Liver Action BB gun. We lived in town, but I was allowed to plink around at things in my yard with the strict admonition not to shoot out anybody's eye or, even worse, a window pane. I once inadvertently, I swear to this day it was an accident, nailed my sister in the right butt cheek with a BB. It left a mark. My plinking was severely limited for the rest of the summer. When I was 10, I developed a fascination with archery. I think I really just lusted after that aqua fiberglass bow and arrow set that I saw on display at the local Ace Hardware. It took some cajoling and conniving, but my parents finally agreed to buy me the bow and arrow set in exchange for my mowing the lawn weekly. It came with the same caveat about shooting out eyes and windows, and a reminder of what had happened in my sister's butt shot incident. It was a real bow, but with a relatively weak draw strength. It came with three feathered arrows fitted with steel target tips. My dad set up a cardboard bullseye for me in the backyard and tacked to a bale of hay backed by a dirt embankment to absorb my really errant shots, of which there were many. Shooting at the same target grew old quickly, and I soon began prowling around the yard in search of other harmless targets, like an apple falling from the tree or shooting at a cellophane cigarette wrapper at 20 yards. In my playful imagination, though, I stalked buffalo, on the open prairies of Nebraska. But then it happened. I came around the corner of our house and startled a robin who had been pecking for worms in our front yard. As the robin took flight, a primal urge surged through my arm and I drew an arrow back and let it fly without aiming. That must have been the unluckiest robin in the world. As the hapless bird lifted to an altitude of two feet, My arrow's flight path intersected with hers and struck her in the side of her orange breast. The arrow with its blunt tip didn't penetrate, but the stricken bird fell into the freshly mowed grass. I ran to my victim, hoping she was just stunned, but she lay twitching as I watched tiny pulses of blood spring from her side. In seconds it was finished, the crimson spurting ending ended, and I looked into her lifeless and accusing eye. I felt a sense of panic and immediate remorse, and I could feel my own blood pulsing in my chest. 
My feelings of concern for my victim were overcome, though, by guilty fear, since I knew that songbirds were protected by law. I imagined police sirens approaching. I also felt a sense of shame at having disappointed my father, a gentleman who had a deep respect for animals and wildlife. My primal reaction had caused me to violate a sacred moral code that prohibited senseless killing. Surely Cain could have felt no worse after he stove in his brother's skull with a rock out in the field back in biblical days. Now I had been marked by the sign of Cain forever. I then embarked on my second sin of the day, a cover-up, albeit a respectful one. Placing the avian corpse at the base of an elm tree, I hurried into the house, the screen door banging behind me. What are you doing? My mother asked as I passed the kitchen where she was peeling apples for a pie. Nothing, I said, and since this was my standard reply, I raised no suspicion and she went back to peeling. In my room, I dumped a collection of fossil shells that I had collected onto my bed from a diamond safety match box. I returned to the tree and placed the bird gently in the box, which I had padded with toilet paper. I felt a sense of relief as I slid the cover shut. With my bare hands, I scraped a hole in the loamy soil behind a group of bushes, laid my improvised coffin in it, covered it with soil, and arranged two twigs on the grave in the shape of a cross. God forgive me. I lost my taste for archery that day and hung the bow permanently in the garage. The rest of the summer I faithfully mowed the lawn without complaint, accepting the chore as a kind of penance. Little did I know that my robin murder was only the beginning of my killing spree. That autumn, my dad presented me with a single-shot Remington 22, so that I could go squirrel hunting with him in the woods, which was located on a friend's farm. I'd accompanied him before and taken some target practice on some tin cans when he'd given up on squirrels for the day. I'd taken a hunter safety course from the Boy Scouts that summer, and he deemed it was time for me to become a real hunter. I savored the woods in autumn, inhaling deeply the tannic smells of drying leaves. I loved sitting on a log with Dad eating bologna sandwiches on white bread and imbibing syrupy strawberry pop from a local bottler. Dad often said that the best days hunting went when you didn't see anything. I agreed with him. Our hunting trips became a Saturday morning ritual, and the first few Saturdays passed without incident. Dad usually bagged a couple of fat red fox squirrels, and I missed a few shots that I took. Hunting squirrels with a twenty-two and tall elm, oak, and walnut trees proved to be challenging. And by the way, some of my friends uh, hunted squirrel with a four ten shotgun, which my father considered unsportsmanlike, verging on sinful. And we always ate what we killed. I learned to skin and gut a squirrel as part of my hunting education. Mom dredged the squirrel pieces in flour and fried them in bacon grease and served them for supper. On one of her trips, I struck off deeper into the woods on my own while my dad sat on a log, employing his usual strategy of quietly waiting out his prey. In the top of a tall oak, I spotted the telltale semaphore of a red tail fluttering in the breeze. 
I pulled back the hammer on my rifle, took aim and fired. Bark exploded on the limb beneath the squirrel, who then launched from the limb to another tree where it bounced from branch to branch, finally catapulting itself onto its bed of leaves and disappeared from sight. Heart pounding, I chambered another twenty-two long rifle cartridge and fired into the bed. A small red body flew into the air and then pinballed through the limbs, finally making a barely audible thud on the ground. I saw instantly it wasn't the squirrel that I'd been pursuing, but an immature offspring from the nest. The young squirrel, hardly more than a baby, was mortally wounded, but not dead. I chambered another cartridge and sought to dispatch it with another shot. I missed, kicking up a spray of dirt. My next attempt I made at close range and ended the suffering with a shot to the head. The guilty fear that had risen in me when I shot the robin replayed itself. The squirrel was too small to eat, even if I would have had the stomach for it, so I covered the corpse with leaves and returned to my dad's location. I heard shots, he said. Did you get him? This time I felt a need to confess and told him what had happened. That's why we don't shoot into beds, he said evenly. And that was that. I think, sensing how shaken I was, he knew that I'd learned a lesson. No more was said. We continued hunting together on a regular basis for several years, but I honestly can't remember if I ever succeeded in shooting another squirrel. One thing I do know is that I never became a hunter. He kept my Remington oiled and polished after I'd gone off to college, but I never touched it after that. Looking back and examining my emotions and motivations surrounding those two traumatic experiences, I realized that the source of my pain was empathy, the ability to experience another's pain as if it were my own. I not only felt the arrow pierce the side of the robin I shot, I worried about the nestling she left behind, starve, and the fear they would feel when she didn't return. I felt the grief of the mother squirrel as she witnessed her bloodied offspring blasted out of the safety of their nest. Was she looking down with horror as I covered her baby with leaves to be devoured by swarms of maggots or scavenged by crows? These feelings weren't new to me. I remember as a small child having what's probably an unnatural concern for the feelings and perceptions of lower forms of life. I would sit for hours watching ants toil at excavating their homes and imagine their terror as the careless scuff of a gargantuan human shoe wiped away thousands of ant hours of work, or how they might die trapped in a flood caused by a brief rainstorm. That I was a bit weird was often confirmed by my family when I would choose to liberate a spider invading our home rather than crush it with a wad of toilet paper and flush it down the toilet. Well, what if the spider were still alive and I flushed it? I could feel myself being sucked down into the dark hell of the sewer. My sentiments haven't changed much to this day. Now, let me be clear. I don't condemn people who hunt or who swat flies rather than escorting them to an open window. 
I have more friends who are avid hunters than those who identify with PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. I'm simply telling you how I feel. And for the most part, my feelings inform how I choose to act. I have little interest in guns or archery or hunting. Neither am I ashamed or embarrassed by my feelings, nor feel that I am weird any longer. To the contrary, I think that empathy for all forms of life is one of the things that makes us human and which should be constantly examined and cultivated. My outsized respect for other living things was reinforced a few years ago when I traveled to Bhutan, a Buddhist country in the Himalayas. On our trip, we visited a monastery where we witnessed a nun with a long bamboo pole poking at the corner of the room near the ceiling. Eventually, she lowered her pole and shuffled outside. And we learned that she was liberating spiders to keep them from building webs in the ancient temple. While we were in the country, the parliament was debating on how to rid a tourist hotel of bedbugs, since even the, this noxious pest is a sentient being. That is, it has some level of awareness of the world outside itself. I never learned how the problem was resolved, but even the fact that preserving the lives of bedbugs was a matter of serious debate sounds outlandish, outlandish and silly to Western ears. I admire that. An even more extreme concern for the preservation of all life is exhibited by giants, a sect of Hinduism. Giants wear cloth over their mouth to prevent accidentally inhaling and thereby killing insects. They go as far as not eating root vegetables because that would kill the plant. Now, a few of us would go that far. Even the Buddhist Dalai Lama takes a more pragmatic approach toward killing. I once heard him ask what he would do if a mosquito were biting him on the arm. He looked at his arm and said, I respect you, mosquito. Then he playfully slapped at his arm and said, Bye-bye. Most people would say that I'm projecting human attributes onto the lower forms of life that they don't have, and they would probably be right. We humans are the only animals that possess feelings. Or are we? Tell that to a dog lover. Franz Duval, one of the world's leading animal behaviorists, has written a book titled, Are We Smart Enough to Know How Smart Animals Are? He asks why we assume that animals are capable of emotion or thinking when many of us give when many give us every indication that they are. He goes on to cite countless examples of how they feel pain, plan for the future, and even ritually mourn their dead. He relates stories of octopuses, mere invertebrates, playing hide and seek with divers. I've personally sat among a group of mountain gorillas and watched their mothers lovingly caress and groom their babies. And I've looked into the brooding eyes of an adult male sitting watch over his family. And I knew there was somebody home there. When I hear of poachers murdering gorillas to cut off their hands for trophies, the only word that comes to my mind is murder. So that's my confession. I have killed. And although I don't hunt, I don't scrupulously examine every step I take to avoid crushing a beetle. Additionally, I pay people to kill for me, that is, to slaughter the food that I eat. 
I've now added octopus to veal as a guilt-inducing food that I used to mindlessly enjoy. I don't have a quarrel with hunters. Although I don't personally understand the motivation to kill for sport, even if the game is eaten. And like everybody else, my instinct for self-preservation will cause me to find ways to limit my empathy, though where I draw the line on what I would kill may vary from other people's. But I'm with the Dalai Lama on those mosquitoes. What is of the greatest concern for me is how willing all of us are to repress our God-given instinct to empathize with the members of our own species. In fact, we're sometimes more moved by the images of abused animals in shelters than we are by those of thousands of men, women, and children starving in refugee camps. Considering the likelihood of increasing populations being displaced by climate change and access to clean water, and those fleeing violent crime and war, we will all face the urge to switch the empathy switch to off. Otherwise, life will become too painful for us to bear. And so I will continue to revisit my memories of the robin and the red squirrel. I dare not forget. Because I have killed, I better understand the value of life. Because I have caused the suffering of innocent animals, I will be motivated to help prevent the suffering of innocent people. To not do so would be inhuman. Thank you for joining me. May God bless and keep you. May God give you compassion, empathy, and loving kindness in full measure. <laughs>